Here we go. Do we have the slides? Have you got slides? I haven't. Oh, this is going to be exciting. <clears throat> you saw on the uh, a video about the potter, and God is the divine potter, and I won't have time this morning to go into the details of that, but if you read Jeremiah 18, it gives this wonderful description of how God is the potter and how he spoke through the work of the potter to Jeremiah, a message, and that message is still relevant for us today, uh, that he takes a lump of clay, like us, and that he has a plan and a purpose, a design. He knows what he's going to make, and in the process of making it, sometimes something goes wrong. It gets flawed, it gets broken, and so he'll pound it back down again and start again. And he will reform it, reshape it, make it into something perhaps slightly different to what he intended into the first place, but nonetheless something which will be useful for his purposes. God is transforming people through a multitude of processes. We're going to talk a little bit about those processes today. So our focus for this year, as you can see on the bottom right-hand corner of that slide, is transforming people. Our mission statement is, this is how we express this biblical truth, is, tell me, oh, every year we go through this, <laughs> working with God in transforming people into passionate followers of Jesus. Working with God, we did last year. Not doing it this year, no, we are. That's put in there deliberately because it's not about what we do by our own self-efforts. It's about us cooperating with and responding to what the Lord is doing. It's working with him. He calls us to be his fellow servants. So it's working with God. And this year our focus is on the middle phrase, in transforming people. That's ultimately what God's on about. He's in the process of transforming people. Into what? Well, ultimately, God's desire is for all people to be saved and to become fully devoted followers, passionate followers, people who are passionate about Jesus. Passionate not in the sense of romantic passion, but passionate in the sense of enthusiasm, the way that we use the word in our culture. We talk about he's very passionate about whatever, very passionate about football, supports it, he talks about it, he knows about it. Passionate about books, passionate about movies, passionate about food, passionate about all sorts of things. Well, the purpose of our church is that we want people to be passionate about Jesus. To know him, to know about him, to love him, to serve him, to want others to know about him. Passion. And it'll just ooze out of us that people will notice the difference. A couple of years ago, the pastoral team decided that we would look at our mission statement over three years. Last year, working with God. This year, transforming people. Next year into passionate followers of Jesus. And it's a little bit artificial to separate transforming people into passionate followers of Jesus, but we're going to try and do a little bit of that, but obviously it, it flows on and flows into. We'll see how we do. This year our focus is transforming people, all of us. We all need changing. We are nowhere near perfect, and we're nowhere near as mature as we ought to be. We are all at different stages of our spiritual walk and journey, and that's a given. And it'll always be that way. It's what the church is, made up of different people of different ages and at different stages of life, not just chronologically, but also spiritually. But the goal is not to stay there. The goal is to work with God in transforming people. It starts with us, but it includes one another, and it goes beyond the walls in transforming people and moving us to the right. Moving people from being 
unbelievers to being believers to being growing believers to being eventually mature believers. We'll talk a little bit more about it in a moment. The biblical truth is that God is the one who made us right in the beginning in his image. Next slide, I think. Here we go. Um, in the, uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 says, Let us make man uh, in our image and in our likeness. That's exactly what God does. He makes us male and female, both of us, in his image to serve and to have responsibility over the earth, but ultimately to reflect him to creation. That image that he made us in, that the initial creation recognised, now distorted, flawed, not removed because of sin. We know it's not removed because in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, you have God telling Moses that anybody who sheds men's blood, who commits murder, by man shall his blood be shed, the death penalty, because they are made in the likeness of God. Post sin, post exiting from the garden, man is still in the image of God. And James chapter 3, verse 10 says exactly the same thing. We still have the image of God. As I said, though, it's flawed. It's broken in some way. But God is committed to and is in the process of restoring us to that image through the person of Jesus. Ephesians and Colossians talk about that. He's committed in one verse, Romans 8.29. God is committed to us being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. He's predestined it. He has ordained it. This is what will happen as far as God is concerned. And then it's really just a question of how far along the process do we get in this life as we cooperate with him? Because when we die or when the king returns, the process ends and we are instantly transformed into his likeness. We are instantly glorified. Now I'm going to go on very thin ice theologically, so you listen very carefully. I wonder... If, determine, if how much we cooperate with the growing sanctification, the maturing process in this life, how much we obey and how much we become like Jesus to the stage that we get to before the process ends, at death or at his second coming, I wonder if that's going to be reflected in some way in heaven. And my answer is, I think it is. I think it is. Why do I think that? Well, for several reasons, but for one reason for this morning, because God is going to give rewards, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and that's going to be given on the basis of our growth and sanctification process, on our cooperation with him, whether we serve him with that which is the best that we have, gold, silver, precious metal, or whether we serve him with leftover stuff and it's not important, and we don't make it a high priority of serving him. And it's like serving him with wood, hay or straw. And the passage says, the people who serve with wood, hay or straw, it'll be burned up. They themselves will be saved, transformed into his likeness, glorified. But as through fire. There will be a difference in heaven between followers of Jesus. And one of the factors in determining that difference is back here. It's going to be the level of our obedience and the level of our sanctification. So this life is not a waste of time. This life is a trial run. And there are eternal consequences at stake. 
So we are foolish, deceived spiritually, if we're not sold out to following Jesus as being passionate about him. And of course, you're aware there is a spiritual force in the world which is doing exactly that, deceiving people. But God has committed, he has ordained it, he has predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. And of course, this year and particularly next year, we're going to focus, what does that mean? What is Jesus like? What are we supposed to be like? That'll come out in the teaching of God's word. We represent this, you know, this diagram for many, many years now. I find it very, very helpful. And I hope you do too. We represent it diagrammatically like this, that we put people, all people, not just people in our church, you too, but primarily people in our society. And people are at one of five stages. I know you can change it and you can add and make it more complex, but I like to keep things, sim- usually like to keep things simple. So you start way over here on the right, you have people who are, and I can't read that, but I think it says uninterested or indifferent or something like that. They're the people whom you know, they call themselves atheists or agnostics or they, they just ignore God or they're indifferent. They're not interested. There are people like that. There are many people like that in our world. And I hope you know some. And if you are one, I'm delighted that you're sitting in this building. This is where God wants you to be. And if you don't believe, well, that's okay. You ask your questions. You raise your critical element as high as you like and fire your questions. But most of us are already crossed the line. Most of us are following Jesus. And we have friends or family members who are in this category. What you need to do is you need to name them And you need to pray for them. Ralph Neighbour used to say we should have uh, relationships, and he called it the five and five principle. We should have five non-believers, non-followers of Jesus, five in this category, five hard cases. Every time you talk about God, Jesus, or the Bible, they just want to argue with you. Those sorts. You should have five of them. Name them. Pray for them. Pray that God will open their hearts, soften them, change their way they're thinking, use you as an opportunity to talk about the gospel with them. Second one is people still who are not followers of Jesus, but they're not as indifferent to that, they're not as uninterested, perhaps they are interested, they could even be seekers. Now this is where we've got to be discerning because sometimes, particularly in Australia, people are just polite. You talk to them about Jesus or God or the Bible and they're too polite or passive and they'll just put up with it but they're not actually interested. But there are others in this category who are interested, and maybe you're here this morning. Terrific. Good place to be, to associate with those who know Jesus and to listen to his word as it's taught, as it's read, as we sing about it. Ask your questions. Well, you should have five people in that category, Ralph Neighbour says. Name them and pray for them. Learn the gospel so that you can have a gospel conversation with them. Ask provocative questions. And then, of course, you come to the cross. This is actually another stage. It's a significant stage. It's a significant step. It's about conversion. This is what the whole teaching of the New Testament points towards, about moving from being independent and self and ignoring God, being transferred to the kingdom of God, becoming a servant and a follower of Jesus. And you do that through the cross. Conversion, being born again, submitting, repenting, believing, receiving. All of those words. We need to understand that conversion process. You need to know the gospel and you need to understand how God is at work in bringing people to faith in him. The better you understand the process, the better equipped you are to be a servant of his in his hands. 
that he'll give you conversations. Problem is, my guess is, problem is most of us are scared. And we're scared we're gonna get asked a question by somebody over here or even here that we don't know the answer to. And because we're scared and because we think they're gonna say ask something we won't know the answer to, therefore we won't say anything. Well, I think we're being deceived by the evil one who doesn't want us to say anything. I think we just need to step up, mature a little bit, suck it up a little bit, and really let them ask the questions. And if you don't know the answer, then simply say, that's a great question. I don't know. What a good question. I'll find out for you. And come and ask Pastor David Butterfield. He knows the answer. <laughs> I'd like to make a deal with you that you would do that. But that's certainly what God wants us to be doing. So that's the first three stages. Those who are uninterested, those who are becoming interested, and then those who become followers of Jesus. Let's just talk a little bit more about that. Let's get this very clear, because this is crucial. This is so important. And it could very well be that you're here this morning, and you think you're a Christian. And maybe you're not. So let's just talk a little bit about that. Next slide, Derek. The Bible says that it's about we are to receive Jesus and once we have received him as Lord, as Saviour for the forgiveness and salvation that he offers, then it's a matter of us cooperating with him. Christianity is not about coming to Christ and then doing the best that we can to make the difference. It's not about our effort. That's religion. It's not coming to Christ and then I'm on my own. No, no, no. It's coming to Jesus, receiving him, and then your life being transformed by his life on the inside. It's you cooperating with what he's doing. Imagine a person you know who's not a Christian, doesn't follow Jesus. They drink a lot. They smoke a lot. They swear a lot. And they gamble. Occasionally, maybe often, they watch movies that they ought not to watch. They might even be into pornography. They're a pretty normal, ordinary Australian. They become a Christian through the work of God. It's not our duty at this point to say to them, stop smoking, stop drinking, stop watching porn, stop doing this and stop doing that. That's religion. What we need to do is get them to be reading the Bible And then let God work in them. And God will bring them to a point about smoking. Just to be clear, it's not a sin to smoke. So sometimes there are followers of Jesus who smoke. You might be here this morning, that might be one of you. Well, you're welcome. If God hasn't challenged you, if God hasn't convicted you about giving up smoking, well then it's up to you. I think it's a disgusting, filthy, unhealthy habit, but not my role to judge you and condemn you. One of the saddest things, I've probably told you before, previous church and in another lifetime, we had a group of people who were smokers. And they used to hang around after church because they could get through a service, you know, an hour, hour and a half, but after that they just had to get outside and have another smoke. And when they got outside, they would light up and they would have their cigarettes. And whenever I went up to that group, they all took their cigarettes, however they smokers do it, And they could hold it, oh, glasses. They could hold, I don't know what to do with these now. 
um, they'd hold a cigarette in their hand. Instead of holding it like that, they'd hold it on the inside. And then they would cup their hand. So you couldn't see they were smoking because they were embarrassed about it. They felt maybe a little bit, oh, this is wrong, you're going to look down on me or something like that. I couldn't care less if you smoked or not. If Jesus doesn't care if you smoke or not, then why should I worry about it? But if he worries about it, then he'll tell you. Get it? Didn't get it? Don't agree with it? Huh. Well, we can talk about it. Same for all of the other habits. You just take them through the Bible. What it says about drinking, well, it says something very clearly, get rid of the cigarette. What it says about uh, getting drunk, show you the verse on that, don't do that. Take it to Proverbs and it can show you the, the foolishness of drinking too much. There's biblical guidelines there. Well, you show them the scriptures and you let the spirit of God work in them. My point is, when you come to Jesus, it's about coming and cooperating with him. It's not about coming to Jesus and then suddenly becoming religious, suddenly having a list of do's and don'ts. There are things to do and there are some don'ts not to do, but God will grow you into them. Just as we grow physically from infancy to childhood to teenage years to young adult to adults to mature to whatever's after that, we grow through a process. And we're all on the process, just depending um, exactly where we are. The reality is we now have his life force living in us and we grow in these stages. Next, number seven again, Derek, please. The next one. <clears throat> so back to this diagram. We've done the first three stages. Now, for the vast majority of you and the people in our church, you're now in the next three stages. And it'd be interesting to see where you would put yourself. There's an exercise for you to do. You're either a new believer, a new follower in Jesus, you're a growing believer, you've been following him for a few years, or you're a maturing believer. You may even be, describe yourself as mature. This is not biblical, but this is my guess. First stage, about one to five years. Takes a new believer about five years to learn the stuff they've got to learn, understand their worldview, go through some life change. They are a new believer, roughly one to five years. Could be a bit longer, could be a bit less. Next stage, you're a growing believer. That's about five to 10 years, my guess. You're being exposed to biblical truth, understanding some theology and doctrine and stuff and life and character and choices. And you're changing through those 10 years. I reckon after you're following Jesus for about 10 years, you should be into the third category. You should be into the maturing process. There's still stuff to grow and learn and change and mature, but you're into that category. You're over the froth and bubble of the early excitement of being a follower of Jesus and you've got some life experience under your belt and you're a little bit more stable, a little bit more steady. Now, where would you place yourself? One to five years? Five to ten years, ten plus years, ten to twenty years. Certainly, if you've been following Jesus over 20, 25 years, you should certainly be in the last category. You should be a mature follower of him, reflecting Jesus in the fruit of the Spirit. Not perfect, but honest. Because it is a process of growth and of change, and there are things to do with each of these stages, and um, classes to attend and our church responsibilities to provide opportunities at each of these stages for people to take and to grow. And we grow like this. <clears throat> we have a growth burst and then there'll be a period of plateau where it is just simply consolidated by the Lord in our life. There'll be a period of non-growth. 
but it's actually consolidating what is growing and, ch and changing in you. Then there'll be another burst and a stabilising influence. Another bur burst and so on. Goes, my observation, my experience is we grow like that. From a new believer to a growing follower believer into a passionate follower, a maturing, mature believer. Now the sad thing is this. Even though there are these stages, we don't all grow through them. Some of us have a burst of enthusiasm, that's where we stay and we plateau for the rest of our Christian life and we don't grow anymore. We are still infants, children, in our faith, in our lifestyle and in our choices. We have not grown. That was Paul's writing to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, he says... I was going to write to you as spiritual people filled with the Spirit, but I couldn't because you are still worldly, you are still infants, and I had to feed you with milk, not solid food. The author of Hebrews chapter 5 says, Though by this time you should have been mature enough to be able to teach others, I need to return to the beginning of the elemental parts of your faith in order to re-establish you in the faith. They had begun, but they hadn't gone on. Does that describe you? Well, God's will for you is to move on. There are things for you to do in that process. So the verse that I wanted to focus upon today, and I've used most of my time up now, is Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. That's the key text for us for this year. It's about transforming people. Verse 1, just to consolidate this pretty quickly. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you, in light of God's mercy. Full surrender, present your bodies to God. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find fully acceptable. That's truly the way that we are to worship him. That's where it begins, the cross. That's the commitment. This is presenting ourselves to him, and then even on a daily basis, taking up our cross daily and following him. And then verse 2 says, don't copy the behaviour and customs of the world be delivered from that influence. We're still under it, but we don't have to copy it anymore. Don't follow the patterns of this world. Instead, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think, renewing your mind. <clears throat> and then, as a result, you will know how, you'll learn how to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. What God wants you to do? Present yourself fully to him as a living sacrifice. Do not conform to the patterns of this world. Don't exclude God from the choices and plans that you make. But rather, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That renewal process that God most often uses is his word, the Bible. I'll come back to that in a minute. This word transform, transforming people in Romans 12 verse 2, is in the present tense. That means that it's something that begins and goes on. It's a process. Be transformed. Not instantaneously, not miraculously, not dramatically. It's a process. Now, given, sometimes God will do dramatic, instant things in you. There is the alcoholic who can tell the story that he got converted and from that day, instantly, no more desire for alcohol. A dramatic, sudden change. Another alcoholic will tell you that he became a Christian, he follows Jesus, and God has not taken away that wrestle or that struggle from his life. God works with us in different ways. 
but usually it's a process. It's not instantaneous, it's not overly dramatic, it's a process. Secondly, the verb that got this verb be transformed is passive. It's something you let God do in you, be transformed. Don't hinder the process, cooperate with the process. And then, of course, it's imperative, it's a command. This is something that we are responsible for the results for. We are responsible to cooperate with what God is working in us to transform us into being passionate followers of Jesus. He is at work, up to us. Will I cooperate or will I not cooperate? Will I obey or will I not obey? What choice will I make? And then depending on my level of choices and obedience will determine the speed and the, direction, the growth rate that I will go through. So <clears throat> it's a process. God normally uses these three thi four things. I just I have to fly through it. There is a formula. It starts with personal commitment. You commit your life to Jesus. Then he'll use the word of God. I want to come back and talk about that. Then God also uses time and trials. Nobody grows instantly like this. Eleanor is seven. It's taken her seven years to get to the level of growth where she's at. She's still not mature. Well, of course she's not. She's seven. Nobody expects a seven-year-old to be a 27-year-old. When she's 27, then I will expect her to be a 27-year-old. So will God. You've been following Jesus for seven years? Well, you're not 27. Of course not. You've only had seven years. But if you've been following Jesus for 27 years and you're still a seven-year-old, something's not right. Something's wrong. That's not what God wants. So God works through time and trials. He'll test us, the ups and downs of life. And God also works through other believers. Hence the necessity for us not only to gather together, this is part of God's purposes, but it's also join a life group if you're not in a life group. Find an accountability group. Find some people, other believers that you can grow with who will hold you accountable. It's all the one another statements of the New Testament. It's just filled with it. <clears throat> God uses personal commitment, reading the word of God, time and trials, and other believers, this formula, this process, to move us to the right. He just keeps repeating it and repeating it and repeating it. And he's waiting for our compliance to it. So this year, this is what we're going to do. We are going to be cooperating with God. Uh, and in the, this term, first term, we're going to look at Romans chapter 12, verses... Um, uh, chapter 12 to chapter 16, the last four or five chapters of Romans, with a view to what does this part of God's word teach us about being transformed? What does God want us to be like? And that passage of scripture has heaps of challenges for us on many different topics. Encourage you to read it, encourage you to look into it in your life groups. Term three, we're going to do a, uh, a, pro a course or a program, which I hope goes across the whole church, and I hope all life groups engage in it, and it's called transformation. And it looks at these seven different areas. Each week we'll focus upon transforming our spiritual health, transforming our physical health. I've got to get in shape before we do that one. Transforming our mental health, financial health, emotional health. Um, what did I miss? Relational health. As well as our work, our vocational health. Seven areas of our life where God wants to transform us. It's not just spiritually, it's all of life. 
becoming a better parent, becoming a better neighbour, becoming a better citizen. All of this is about God's purposes transforming us. And then uh, at some point in term two and in term four as well, we'll start 1 Corinthians. We'll work our way through 1 Corinthians. We'll do the first, whatever it is, 10 or 12 chapters. And then in the fourth term, we'll come back and we'll finish that book off from chapter 12 or 14 to the end, to 16. And again, there is a church that had issues. They had lots of problems and they needed transformation. They needed to become passionate followers of Jesus, more like him. So we're going to look at God's word and work our way through that process. I've got two things to do. What does all of this mean? Well, some of these practical things. Excuse me while I put these on. Number one. Develop, begin or maintain daily time with God and his word. It's crucial, essential to your spiritual growth. No avoiding it. Daily time with God. Read his word. Secondly, even consider the option of reading some very good Christian books this year. God using his people, other authors or whatever, to influence your life. Listen to podcasts. Expose yourself to other good Bible teaching. Grow through other Christians, other believers. Think about joining a life group. If you're not in a life group, we want everybody to be in a life group or some sort of a group where you are being supported and as well as supporting others. The men's ministry this year are going to have a push about starting accountability groups or quad groups as we normally call them. Small groups, people of the same gender meeting together to hold each other accountable. <clears throat> Use the five circles, the six stages, if you like, of that diagram. And see if you can identify people in your network of relationships who are at each of those stages and particularly over here and then pray for them and build relationships with them and reach out to them. Even consider new believers, younger people than you. If you're an older person, if you're my age, over 40, then you can look for someone who is under 40, in their 20s, in their teens, in their 30s, and meet up with them, pray with them, hold them accountable, and be open and honest and help them on life's journey. Answer the questions that they will have at whatever stage of life they are. wonder where you would put yourself on that diagram. So consider taking a spiritual assessment. There are plenty of those around. In third term, when we do that course on transformation, it will include a, a, a spiritual health check that'll be worth taking, just personally, just for you, just for your own information. Let me finish by telling you this story. This is the best illustration that I could think of or come across that would illustrate and encapsulate all of these things that I've been trying to teach you this morning. And it's an illustration. Imagine that you came across a caterpillar and the caterpillar could talk. And you spoke to this little caterpillar and you heard him articulate that his desire was to be a brightly coloured, beautiful, high-flying butterfly. That's all he wanted to be. But he was discouraged. Because he was brown, he was ordinary, and he didn't know, as much as he tried and tried, he couldn't change himself into a beautiful butterfly. He even tried hopping or leaping from branch to branch to get the idea of flying, but nothing worked, and so he's discouraged. And you hear him say, I am simply a brown, boring, branch-calling bug. That's all I'm going to be. 
But you, with your wisdom, you could say to this discouraged little caterpillar, all of the commitment in the world of your own self-effort is not going to change you into a butterfly. But if you cooperate with the miracle of metamorphosis, ask the kids, they'll tell you, then you will find that you will be transformed into a brightly coloured, high-flying, aeronautical marvel. God will change you as you cooperate with him. Does that make sense? That's our focus for this year, to cooperate with God, with what he's doing, in being transformed and in seeing others transformed for the sake of his glory and for the growth of his kingdom. Let's pray together. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you're a God who is committed to transforming us to be like Jesus. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the forgiveness and salvation that we have in him. And thank you for his spirit indwelling us and now at work in us, both to will and to enable us to change. Lord, Open our eyes and help us to cooperate with the transformation process, firstly in us, then in our families, then in our church, and then in our community. Use us, Lord, like a stone in the middle of a pond to cast out, send out ripples, ripples of transformation. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.